Before I get into the show, I'd like to thank our sponsor, NPR. NPR is not your typical media partner. From NPR News Now and Smart Speakers to How I Built This Live on Stage, NPR is where audiences turn for non-commercial, unbiased journalism. Stay tuned to find out how NPR sponsorship drives impact for brands. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sango. The New York Times has made headlines in the past few years due to the unprecedented success of their subscription proposition. However, ad revenue is still an important part of their revenue base. In this focus session from our publishing summit in Europe, you will hear from Jean-Christophe de Marta, on how the Times is experimenting with the new measurement techniques to calculate ROI on ad spend and how to use this as a starting point for not only optimizing their display offering, but also figuring out where they can diversify. Uh, so I will, uh, yes, want to talk to you today about a subject that's very dear to us, which is about ad, effect, you know, ad efficiency, uh, but also about uh, putting that in the context of you know, what our industry is facing today. So. With no surprise, the explosion of digital has forced us to review our business model. We've, you know, you, we've been sort of reading at length and experiencing what had, that has done to the publishing sort of industry. Perhaps with the music industry, we've been the one, I mean, especially newspapers, we've been the one sort of uh, sector that has been the most disrupted by technology. And of course, what has disrupted us is the ad revenue. Then the, then the flow of revenue into, uh, you know, that was coming into our company. But when you look at the advertising industry, $650 billion today, there is, on the face of it, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if you talk to publishers, and we've been hearing, you know, some of them uh, actually over the past two days, you know, they feel, you know, you could sense that they feel a lot of pressure. We feel definitely the pressure. But when you look at the industry as a whole, there's actually, you know, nothing wrong with it. When you start looking at what has happened, by sort of different sort of medium, of course, a lot of things have changed. You see that digital continues to accelerate in a very, very big way. You see that TV has remained relatively flat. Other medium have as well. But print, legacy print media, newspapers and magazines have seen very sharp declines in revenue over uh, you know, this sort of 10 to 15 year sort of time span. And of course, there is a big sort of problem to us, is that dollars just don't add up when you are converting your sort of legacy print business to a digital business. One could argue that the New York Times has embraced the digital challenge in a very big way. We've invested very early on in our digital products. I mean, the whole company today is organized to actually you know, try to, to capture that new opportunity. We've never had as many readers in our entire history, thanks to digital, thanks to social platforms as well but the ad dollars just don't add up when we transfer an advertiser from print to digital. And despite the scandals of the platforms um, that you know, we're reading sort of all of that sort of daily, uh, concern over brand safety, and there have been many, uh, the many apologies that we're reading sort of uh, almost uh, every week uh, in the various sort of uh, uh, news uh, outlets reporting on this industry, 
the reality is that uh, most marketers are okay with a duopoly. So we know that there's been a massive concentration of, uh, of those ad dollars going uh, to these two companies alone. And if that wasn't sort of uh, enough, we have a third one is coming, third big one is coming, and they're just starting. When you look at the ad revenue uh, generated by Amazon today, it's relatively small in comparison to the other two giants, but you can bet that they're gonna you know, put a lot of efforts to actually uh, uh, become you know, a really big force and you know, very quickly. Actually interesting to, to see this title to say that uh, Amazon was not yet profitable, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that's quite, uh, Quite amusing. And of course, of course, of course, you have a lot of, uh, many of you today, a lot of new sort of uh, tech companies coming into the picture and of course, eating up a little bit of that sort of uh, ad dollars that was going mainly to legacy publishers as we, uh, or, or news outlets as we were being called. Now, unless we all do this, nothing is going to change. And it's probably gonna be business as usual, no matter how we twist, we change, we transform, you know, no matter how creative we become, you know, probably that whole sort of trend is gonna to continue to be the same. This is why we believe, we're not alone in this, but we believe that the reader viewer, as the first sort of um, major, you know, sort of uh, decision we've made is that we needed to concentrate Perhaps again, we've never sort of left that, but we needed to concentrate our attention on the reader. And I'm sure you have seen this chart, uh, many of you, is that you know, what revenue we're bringing uh, you know, per subscriber versus you know, how much revenue we manage to monetize from you know, on the ad side. It's pretty clear, it's pretty simple. Of course, you know, we generate much more money today from you know, you know, getting a new subscriber than we are from monetizing um, our, um, our total audience, and we have a pretty big one uh, on the ad side. So without any surprise, what we said as a company is that we want to be a subscription-first company. That's very clear. You know, everything that we do, even on the advertising side, is conditioned by that one statement, which is that we are a subscription-first company. And that has worked pretty well for us so far. We're not the only ones, the Wall Street Journal and others have also followed the same sort of path, and I think it's working you know, for them as well. And, uh, you know, and so if you have a big and expensive newsroom that general, you know, and, and to, 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 to fund this quality, we need to have a big and, and, and expensive sort of newsroom Actually, you do need to get uh, 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 revenue from readers, otherwise your challenge is gonna be that much more uh, complicated. And now we are you know, near, uh, uh, near four million subscribers. I always go back to this image from uh, Steve Jobs, um, uh, the, the, the press conferences that you know, in 2007 with the iPhone, uh, or three years later with the iPad, when he showed the New York Times uh, inside these beautiful you know, sort of new machines, new toys. And I've always wondered, especially back in 2007, the press was sort of predicting the death of newspapers, yet he was using a newspaper brand to actually showcase what you know, his you know, wonderful new tool and toy you know, could do. And I think he was really thinking about content, and that's probably what he had in mind. He probably didn't think about advertising at the time, but he was, he was thinking about you know, content, Newspapers are big content producers and probably saw the opportunity for us to generate money through content, which is what perhaps we should do first. Now, where does that leave um, advertising for us? One of our key columnists and media expert, Jim Rutenberg, has written this article last year, and I thought it was very interesting. He's a big sort of analyst, and he observes you know, what's happening in the, in the media. He says, ad buyers have a say whether real news survives. 
He's right in one sense because, of course, marketers have a say in you know, where the, their, their ad dollars go. But I think that we as publishers have to also think a little bit differently. You know, marketers are not out there to save us. They are there to move products and to sell products and services. And so we need to prove that we are efficient for marketers. And today they have an array and a very, very large range of possibilities and options. We're one of the options, and we have to prove that we are efficient. Now, when I saw these incredible sort of clients, very, um, sort of, um, very loyal clients of ours, being on Instagram, when you, when you see these two ladies, they probably have, a, they, they have about half a million dollars around the neck on each ear. I mean, that's, you know, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Yet, these companies feel like they should be on social. And of course, you know, we thought that they would stay with us, and they are still with us. But their dollars are starting to be uh, spread around, you know, to, uh, even to, to the social. And even when I, you know, sort of saw this, again, very long time, loyal advertiser of, you know, of ours, not just us, and we heard from Hearst yesterday, I'm sure they're, they're using many of their uh, magazines and advertising so with them, but it shows that the ad dollars are very, you know, are, are stretched, you know, to a lot, of different, uh, a lot of different ways. And of course, for a very long time, we were kind of protected, because launching a newspaper in print, you couldn't do that overnight. Launching a new website, you could do that overnight. And of course, everyone needs advertising to, uh, to survive. So, you know, pricing is sort of the same. It's been, um, uh, it's been kind of standardized whether you are an expensive production, content production company, or whether you're just sort of an average sort of player sort of out there. Now, for us, we shouldn't lose sight of this thing, whether we want to go after performance or we want to go after branding. On the performance side, we were once actually a medium for both. Uh, if you think about it, you go back 20 years, 30 years, newspapers were it. You know, you wanted to sell anything, you wanted to drive traffic to your store, newspapers were it. Now today, you could argue that maybe we're not that anymore. And we should focus on, you know, what's on the left here, brand marketing. Now, of course, you know, we have to show that you know, it works because the social platforms also want to you know, have a say and are, are starting to tell advertisers that they are good for branding as well. But the problem is that today, everyone is looking and, you know, at clicks, still looking at clicks. Even years later of doing sort of digital marketing, we're still obsessed, everyone is obsessed with, I click, I'm good, I don't click, I'm not good, I'm useless. But what about the silent reader or viewer? He should be just as... As, as, as useful to, you know, to a brand as someone who actually clicks. So we need to change that. So the first approach that I think we as publishers, not just the New York Times, but many of us um, in, you know, in this business, we, changed, we need to change the conversation on ad effectiveness because the reality is that marketers will not just quit Facebook. And there are very, very few companies like Unilever who are making sort of public statements like this one saying that they will, you know, make the social platforms accountable for what they're doing. But there are very, very few of those marketers out there. Now, the reality is when we look at, you know, how we consume media today, I challenge anyone from saying that what you see on the left is more effective than what you see on the right. But today, marketers tend to think that what's on the left is perhaps more useful or maybe works better 
than what actually we are providing as a news provider. Now, you know, we've been challenged and we've been hit hard on the head about you know, the notion of viewability, and I'm sure that all of the publishers you know, in the house here probably uh, sort of uh, relate to what I'm saying here. Actually, viewability sort of uh, uh, levels on, on Facebook and Instagram are appalling yet marketers still spend money with them. So there is kind of a, 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 a paradox here, and we need to change probably, probably that, uh, uh, that, that th those notions and those metrics. Now, when you look also at how marketers measure ad effectiveness, it's interesting that, of course, increased sales comes you know, at the top. You do find, uh, actually, sort of brand, you know, increased brand awareness, but everything else is about clicks, it's about immediate social engagement. So of course, this is what marketers today feel like they have to do. So they're shifting dollars to these sort of new platforms who tell them that they are very efficient. Now, of course, there is pressure for delivering instant results. And I think that we are probably forgetting the long-term impact of everything that you know, is currently happening will have on brands. And this is where I think we need to invest money. We've been investing a lot of money in our products. Of course, we've continued to pour dollars into our engine, which is our newsroom. But I do think that we need to start spending far more money in showing how efficient we are as a medium. Now, of course, we tend to believe that the environment, the context that we provide, is better for ads. We can perhaps be challenged you know, on that as well. But I do think that the long-term memory of an ad and what, you know, what we recall of an advertisement is what we actually uh, need to be working on. And when you see what, sort of, um, you know, what, what the, the, the companies that have really invested on their branding, um, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 how they perform over time in you know, the stock market, um, actually it probably is something that we need, to, uh, we need to focus on. A quick break here. NPR listeners expect an authentic, unintrusive message from brands. It may be different, but it works. Listeners find NPR 21% more engaging than traditional radio content. To learn more about how sponsorship opportunities across NPR platforms can perform for your brand, visit npr.org slash forbrands. Now, back to the episode. Now, advertising is also about emotions. And today, we're kind of surprised to see that um, I, I don't know whether there is an emotion by just doing this and this and this so quickly. Do we stop on anything or we view an image you know, so rapidly, we don't, we, don't, we, we, we don't really sort of, you know, we don't really sit with it. We don't really enjoy it. We don't really feel for, for it. Whether it is music, whether it is movies, whether it is advertising, you know, we remember the ones that touched us. And so uh, I think that we need to go back to these notions of emotions. Now, we introduced something called Project Feels um, at the, uh, the New York Times, which is to try to um, measure emotions when people read articles. So we've collected 150,000 data points, and um, we started to, to ask people how they felt after reading a particular uh, uh, content, a particular story whether they felt um, joyous, uh, they felt sad, they felt hate, they felt jealousy, whatever. And then we allowed marketers to, and how it worked is that, so we collected this, these, these data points 
um, you know, we cleaned the data and then we sort of uh, started to create uh, predictive models and, um, and we start now to apply these uh, predictions on every article that we produce just so that marketers can then start targeting around it. So perspective targeting is this, is you know, trying to, uh, uh, to let sort of, uh, uh, marketers sort of uh, use a particular uh, uh, piece of content and try to sort of derive sort of, uh, emotions or to try to target against a particular set of emotions. The ones that could be sort of more negative, you could actually say, I don't want to appear against something that uh, generates sort of hate as a perception from, from readers. And of course, you know, we do this, um, you know, so you've been asked to be a bridesmaid, now what? Of course, you know, love comes out, of, you know, it's the first sort of emotion. So, yeah, maybe, maybe that's, that's a given. <laughs> uh, we hope so anyway. And as much as I was telling you that you know, we shouldn't be focusing so much on click-through rates, where well, of course we do still measure things on, on saying how it's performing and, and, and yeah, click-through rates are better when we start you know, allowing this kind of targeting to, uh, to advertisers. The second thing, so you know, first sort of uh, conclusion here is to, we need to spend money on ad effectiveness, long-term impact branding, um, that's you know, actually, actually something that uh, uh, for us, I don't think that there is any other way for uh, getting our advertising sort of business back on track. Rethink the display model. Um, another sort of uh, great title from DigiDay, say L'Oréal CEO, uh, uh, CMO saying they will pay more for quality. Well, hopefully we'll, you know, um, uh, he, you know, we'll take him uh, up to his words. Um, We've started to change the way our pages sort of appear and the ads also, the ad units on these pages. Uh, so we've cleaned up the pages. We've removed a lot of ad units. And what we want is uh, actually to have a much cleaner environment. We know that uh, you know, readers do react sometimes negatively when there's too many ads, when it's too busy, when it's too cluttered, when it moves too much. Uh, so there's a lot that we don't allow uh, on, the, you know, on our pages now. And what we want is something that's very clean, no you know, sort of um, brutal interruption, and we feel that that in the end will also have a big impact on how ad performs. Branded content, we've invested a lot in this area, and we're gonna continue to invest a lot. And the reason is that marketers want it, but also this is as a segment of communication, a way of communicating, that's gonna continue to grow. Today it's about a 35 billion or $30 billion uh, sort of business, and it's gonna continue growing at about 15% uh, uh, rate year on year until at least what, you know, what, what experts you know, sort of see, which is around you know, 20, 21, 22. Uh, when you think that the ad business grows at about four to 5% overall a year, this is actually a nice sort of area to continue to invest uh, and put resources. But it has to be of the highest quality because readers have a say. You know, that, that little sort of zapper, we, you know, market readers have that in their hands. So advertising is forced on them, but it content they choose to go in, push the door or not. So, but for us, this is something that's key and we're gonna continue to invest in that. And of course, diversification. So there are many ways, many publishers have started to diversify um, their different sort of services and, and marketing. Uh, influencer marketing is one that we've also um, 
uh, we're, we're exploring very, very carefully. It's about a $2 billion business today. It's predicted to grow about to, to about $10 billion within the next four to five years. So there's going to be a lot more marketing dollars going into influencer marketing. We've acquired a company called Hello Society that has uh, a large network of influencers, and we're going to continue to explore this. Experiential marketing. Now, today, marketers, it's not just about branded content. They want to create experiences on-site, in-store, whatever experiences. So we're, you know, through the, the help of technology, we're also helping brands to exist far beyond our own sort of uh, platforms and, uh, uh, and networks. And of course, we as publishers know a thing or two about publishing. And um, companies today have become publishers themselves. They produce a lot of content. Um, and we've been doing that. We've been producing content and putting out content for 150 years. We're not alone, but we are one of the main uh, sort of companies to have done it. And I we guess we're, we're doing it pretty well. So we, we are helping brands today to think about how they should put out content themselves. And sometimes it's also about creating content for brands like this film. Nearly 80 years ago, Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard lit a spark that ignited the future, and their Palo Alto garage became the birthplace of Silicon Valley. Back then, they had no idea their garage would continue to be the symbol of innovation and a belief that anything is possible. And it's for this reason that I want to welcome you to The Garage by HP. We'll introduce you to innovators, partners, HP employees and thought leaders helping to shape and improve the future of our world. We'll bring you authentic perspectives on challenging concepts from daring digital artists to urban inventors, from global corporations to entrepreneurs in emerging markets. I welcome you to The Garage and encourage you to keep reinventing what matters most to you. Content creation can take a lot, of, uh, a lot of forms, and all of this content appears and sits on the, uh, on the HP's websites. Um, so anyway, so thank you very much. I uh, hope you uh, sort of um, enjoyed it, learned a thing or two, and it was great sort of speaking to many of you uh, last night, and I look forward to meeting some, of, uh, uh, some more people later today. Thank you. Thank you, JC. Just a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Um, what's been the business impact of um, getting advertisers to choose um, to advertise around these things like sentiment and articles and, and things like that? I think we're just, well, we, it's, it's very new. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're exploring it. I think we need to... We think we need to change the conversation on what, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what impact, what's the measure, what's the metric. Um, and if we're, if we're just sort of um, uh, passive or reactive to what the market is asking us to do, it's all about click-through rates, it's all about viewability, it's all about distribution um, sort of uh, uh, issues or, or, or you know, and, and, and I don't think we're going to win at that game. So it's just a way of starting to engage with with marketers on, on, on more qualitative sort of uh, aspects of what they do. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you a little bit as well, um, just uh, you mentioned about the reducing the, the amount of ads that you had on page. Um, obviously when GDPR came in, in, into play, you removed uh, the ads and now you're bringing them back on a gradual basis, sort of testing that. Are you able to give us a bit of an update um, 
into the so in Europe, yes, obviously, in Europe, in, in Europe, Europe yes. uh, in the in the U.S. and Asia and elsewhere, we still it's still business as usual. Yeah, um, we are. You're right. You know, we turned off um, uh, all open exchange sort of feeds um, uh, when GDPR came. Um, came around and uh, we just opened it back uh, a few, few we, uh, actually two weeks ago. Uh, we're testing, we're seeing, and we open it again because actually Google has come back with, um, uh, you know, um, with new sort of products to actually sort of being able to contextually target, you know, uh, you know our pages. Uh, so that's why we did, you know, we, we did that and we, we're testing, we're seeing, you know, we're gonna see. One of the reasons why we made this decision actually to, uh, to turn, turn it off is because we, we don't want subscribers to feel like they should be asked these questions, or readers or potential subscribers to feel like they should be asked whether they want to, they want to see this kind of content, not content, they should consent to this, uh, be okay with this DSP, but not this other one. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, it's not, it's not what we do. We want them to feel uh, like the New York Times experience is a good one. We want them to click on saying, yes, I want to subscribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Advertising should not be the primary concern yeah. as far as we're, you know. Makes sense. Do you think in time, uh, do, you, do you think that you'll bring it back fully or is it really going to be... We'll see. We're going to we're gonna test. I mean, mm -hmm. asking readers for, uh, for consent, I'm not sure this is something that we're going to bring back. Um, I mean, again, you know, by, the company may decide otherwise, um, but, uh, but we, don't, we don't necessarily see the, the need for it. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things which is interesting is that since... Um, We've made this decision. Our digital business in Europe has not gone down. On the contrary, it's continued to progress. Mm -hmm. So contextual is something that marketers are seem to be okay with, as long as they want to, you know, work with your brand. Uh, it's something that uh, they, they find acceptable. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, me as the you know advertising guy, uh, I would like to have all of the possibilities, you know, mm -hmm. the range of possibilities available uh, to to uh, uh, for, for for our clients, but. It looks like, it seems like at the moment, marketers uh, are okay. Mm -hmm. So contextual targeting has sort of filled any gap that might have come from cutting it, would you say? It's, you've had yeah, I mean, it's, it's back, you know, again, you know, what, what, what we are seeing is that direct display is, you know, continues to progress mm -hmm. and through, you know, pure, you know, contextual NGO mm -hmm. at the moment, um, no more BT uh, for Europe. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's yes, again for yep, Europe. Absolutely. But that, that has not had a negative impact on our business so far. Okay. Okay, good to hear. Any questions for JC before we move on? One right here. I was really interested in the slide that you showed of how um, content is consumed um, from with the mobile phones from left to right, right? So on the left, you had that sort of Facebook feed, which was a lot of stuff just splattered everywhere. And then on the other side, you had the New York Times, which obviously pays so much attention to, you know, the actual user experience. Of, do you see, in five years from now, for example, do you think there'll still be five, five phones with completely different um, user experiences, or will will we start to see a bit more uniformity in what constitutes a good um, content experience? Because obviously, advertising can only exist around content that is strong enough to hold and retain attention in the first place? I, th I think your, your, la your last sentence is probably the right one, is retain attention. Is, is retain, retaining attention, it's the impact that the ad has on you and what you're going to keep. 
um, we're, you know, social is still going to be something that we, you know, is going to be consumed very quickly. Uh, as we do all day, we go back to these applications 20 times, 30 times a day, but we stay very, you know, very short amount of time, you know, each time for each, with each session. Um, we feel like that the time spent is something that probably uh, marketers haven't haven't stayed with, long, you know, in enough. I mean, I heard yesterday the, uh, the lady from her saying that time is also something that they're they're exploring. Um, so of course, you know, you sit with a piece of content for a long time, you absorb with it, and you see there is an ad there that's not so intrusive. You may feel good about that that ad and that brand, as opposed to something that you know comes very quickly and you you know you've forgotten it as you know as quickly as you've seen it. Um, so I think that it can only you know, but but right now the way that everything is measured, that's not taken into into account, and that's the problem. Thank you. I think we just one more question over here, and then we'll. Oh, thank you very much. Um, thanks for the uh, insights, really valuable. Um, one question, maybe you can dive a little more into the influencer marketing strategy that you are approaching, because I find it quite interesting that the New York Times is trying to collaborate or doing uh, things with influencer. So it, it's, it's, it's sort of tied with the, the content creation uh, business that we're, we're into now. Um, so these uh, influencers create content themselves and sort of promote that content through their own sort of social feed. Um, um, so we are seeing, and when you know, I speak to advertisers around, around the world, this is something that they want to explore. And, and we, one sort of medium can't be an answer to everything. So obviously, influencer marketing, is, as they, they've, been, they've been criticized a lot. And of course, there have been a lot of fake sort of influencers. But that's going to, you know, it's going to be cleaned up, probably. And, and we think that uh, there is definitely, there's definitely something there to extend a message beyond our own networks and platforms. And I think that uh, if you have the right sort of set of influencers, if they're genuine, uh, it can, can work very well. And again, the predictions are that this business is going to grow from two to, you know, to 10 billion. So marketers, it, it shows that marketers have really uh, integrated that notion in their, in their thinking and their mix. Okay, I think that's all we have time for. So thank you so much, Thank Percy. you. That was thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. I'm Aditi Sangha. Did you like the show? Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can also write to me or tweet at me. I'll be back soon with another episode.